0: Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Jake Tapper. Knock, 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 Donald Trump, you've been served. That's about to happen at Mar-a-Lago, presumably, after members of the January 6th House Select Committee voted unanimously and a touch theatrically to subpoena Donald Trump for testimony and documents. It's all part of their case that Trump not only tried to overturn democracy in 2020 with fraud, lies, threats, and violence, but that Trump continues to do so.
1: We are obligated to seek answers directly from the man who set this all in motion. And every American is entitled to those answers so we can act now to protect our Republic.
0: Today's hearing included never before seen video of congressional leaders, Democrats and Republicans who had been evacuated from the Capitol by law enforcement to the security of a local army base. Law enforcement seeking to protect them from the harm many of the insurrectionists seem determined to cause them, perhaps especially Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Nancy, Nancy,
2: Nancy, Nancy,
0: Nancy. Nancy, Nancy, they're shouting in that clip. Now you can see Democrats and Republicans in this new video huddled together, working the phones, calling the National Guard, calling the Pentagon, trying to get someone to stop the violence.
3: They're breaking the law in many different
0: ways. And quite frankly, much of it at the instigation of the president of the United States. And now, uh, if he could could at least
1: uh, somebody.
3: Yeah, why don't you get the president to tell them to leave the Capitol, Mr. Attorney General,
1: in your law enforcement responsibility? A public statement they should all leave.
0: That public statement they should all leave would not come for more than three hours after the first insurrectionists crossed the barriers. The violence should not have been a surprise, however, to members of the U.S. Secret Service, who we learned today had been warned more than 10 days before that the insurrection was coming, including this tip passed on from the FBI to the Secret Service, detailed today by committee member Adam Schiff. The source went on to
3: say Their plan is to literally kill people. Please, please take this tip seriously and investigate
0: further. And that was hardly the only warning. We learned today that Secret Service agents were reporting uh, people in the crowds likely had weapons, reporting that more than 30 minutes before President Trump took the stage at the ellipse. But regardless, the rally went on, even though people had weapons. We know these rioters. We were angry, incited by months of Trump and his allies' lies about a stolen election. And in evidence presented today, we saw that Trump campaign aide Jason Miller bragged to then-White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows that he, quote, got the base fired up, unquote. Miller included a link to a pro-Trump website underneath which individuals had posted comments about their plans for January 6th. Comments like these. Gallows
3: don't require electricity. If the filthy commie maggots try to push their fraud through, there will be hell to pay. Our lawmakers in Congress can leave one of two ways. One, in a body bag. Two, after rightfully certifying Trump the winner.
0: Jason Miller told the committee he did not realize those comments were on the link that he sent Meadows. But even if that's true, if, I find it impossible to imagine that anyone who worked for Trump by January 6, 2021, was unaware of the potential for violence, especially among a base that was fired up. Because even before Trump ran for office, he loved, he embraced the imagery of violence and brutality, suggesting in 1989 that five black men, the so-called Central Park Five, be given the death penalty he continued to argue that even after the Central Park Five had been freed and exonerated years later. Trump, of course, jumped into the faux violence of pro wrestling.
2: Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my guy.
0: But as a presidential candidate, Trump clearly relished the idea of real violence, instigating his supporters repeatedly to commit violence against protesters who hated Trump. Knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously.
2: Okay? Just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise. I promise.
0: It was like that almost every rally, it seemed. In 2016, the violence at his rallies got so bad, one Sunday I found myself basically pleading with Donald Trump to to stop it. You are not taking down the temperature. You are, in the views of many of your fellow Republicans, making things worse, inciting, encouraging violence. And you're a leader, My fellow sir. You're the frontrunner of the Republican
2: Party. Excuse me. Excuse me. My fellow Republicans are running against me. They are losing big league.
0: Not really the point I was trying to make. And the violence continued. So I asked him about it. Again, at a presidential debate in Miami, March 2016. Do you believe that you've done anything to create a tone where this kind of violence would be encouraged?
2: I hope not. I truly hope not.
0: You can judge for yourself how much he truly hoped not. After months of election lies, fast forward to December 2020, a Republican election official in Georgia also found himself pleading with Donald Trump to stop. Someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to get shot, someone's going to get killed. On January 6th, all of that happened. Someone got hurt, someone got shot, someone got killed. And what was Donald Trump do- doing during that period?
3: When you were in the dining room in these discussions, was the was the, the violence at the Capitol visible on the screen on, on the television? Yes. It's my
0: understanding he was watching television. I think they were, I was watching the TV. Watching TV. Watching TV. Moments such as this one. Hang Mike Pence. 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 Testimony suggests that Trump told aides that perhaps the mob was right, that Pence should be hanged. And now we must confront the case being made by the committee, that the violence on January 6th was not just an unfortunate happenstance, that it was part of the plan, that it is now
2: a Trump tactic. There are a lot of members of Congress that I think voted against impeachment because they were scared for their family and for themselves. What does that mean? It means threats of violence worked.
0: A recent New York Times study suggests that in the five years after Trump was elected, quote, the number of recorded threats against members of Congress increased more than tenfold against Democrats and Republicans. And it's not just members of Congress. Since June of last year, the FBI's new Elections Threat Task Force has received more than a thousand reports of threats against election workers. Election workers. You know, the people, many of them over the age of 60, paid little or nothing to make sure you get to exercise your right to vote. The sweet old grandmas that hand you a I voted sticker afterward. For doing their part to uphold democracy, they get phone calls like this one. We will f- take you out. F- your family, f- your life, watch your f- back. Where are these threats taking place? Well, the bulk of them are in just these seven states, Arizona, Georgia, Colorado, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Wisconsin. All of those states, all seven battleground states that Trump lost to Biden, six of them states where Trump and his allies tried to create slates of fraudulent electors to throw out the legitimate votes cast in 2020. I want to introduce you to Claire Woodall-Vogue, She's the executive director of elections in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and among the dozens and dozens and dozens of threatening messages she received, a few of them stick out to her.
1: A lot of the emails called me a cunt, a bitch, a whore. I deserved to go before a firing squad, all because I did my job and made sure that all of the city of Milwaukee's ballots were counted.
0: She now reasonably thinks that she's a target for violence.
1: It's frightening because there are crazy people out there. And while it might just be them blowing off steam, it's it's clear that they believe it. And I think only someone who truly believed it would act on it.
0: Some of these unhinged people have regrettably acted on it. After the FBI seized classified documents that Trump had improperly taken to Mar-a-Lago, an armed man tried to storm the FBI office in Cincinnati, Ohio in August. He had reportedly posted on social media the same day encouraging others to prepare for war. This is the level of insanity. And we're still 26 days away from the midterm elections. What happens after November 8th if the outcome is not what some of these fringe voters hoped for?
2: If the Republicans don't win in 2022, if it gets stolen again, confidence in the whole entire system is just going to erode America. And then it leads to trouble. It could lead to civil war. You know, also it'll also start on a small scale. It'll be like town against town, communities like that, state against a state. I don't want to see it. I know what war is, but if it comes, we'll fight. Town against town,
0: state against state. It's not just guys hawking Trump t-shirts talking about actual bloodshed. Americans killing Americans because a bunch of them believe these deranged lies about the election? You know, we knew that in the weeks after Trump lost the election, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Donald Trump's first national security advisor, met with Trump and talked about Trump giving an order to seize voting machines. And that's not where Flynn's unhinged ideas ended. Did
1: you know that a governor can declare war? A governor can declare war. Okay. And we, we're going to
0: probably see that. It's a deranged virus, and it's going viral from the deep corners of the dark web onto mainstream sites such as Twitter, where experts tell CNN they've seen a surge of posts about civil war in recent weeks. After the Mar-a-Lago search, one post in a Trump online forum stated, I'm just going to say it. Attorney General Merrick Garland needs to be assassinated. Simple as that. Another said, quote, kill all feds, and all of this is probably why in a recent poll, 64% of you said you expect to see an increase in political violence in the U.S. over the next few years. You're right to have those fears. At least, I hope they're just fears and not desires. I mean, some polling suggests Americans are more willing than ever before to support violence as a legitimate way to further one's political goals. According to the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, U.S. levels are fast approaching support for political violence. The level seen in Northern Ireland in 1973, during that country's most violent period of political violence between Catholics and Protestants. I'd love to tell you there's there's no reason to be worried, but after today, after all these hearings, it is clearer than ever that the threat is real the danger remains, and that January 6th might someday soon end up looking like a dress rehearsal. So let's go inside the decision to subpoena Donald Trump with one of the Republicans who voted aye in his first interview since today's hearing. Will this subpoena lead anywhere, or did it just feel good for the panel to say it out loud? And what about a criminal referral to the Justice Department? Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger joins us next As part of its closing argument, the January 6th Select House Committee drew a sharp contrast today between the action that congressional leaders took behind the scenes in the midst of the Capitol riot chaos and Donald Trump, who sat watching the violent unfold for 187 minutes, resisting all the entreaties, all the pleas that he called the crowd, the mob, to stop. We showed you what the committee aired today, previously unseen footage from Fort McNair, a D.C. area army post, where Speaker Pelosi and Senate Leader Schumer and others were working the phones, Trying to get soldiers, trying to get National Guard's men and women to rush to the Capitol to stop the violence and bloodshed. Here's a closer look at those moments.
3: They have Okay, well D.C. has requested the National Guard, and it's been denied by DOD. I'd like to know a good goddamn reason why it's been denied. Apologize for being so. Don't don't apologize. This cannot be just we're waiting for so-and-so. We need them there now, whoever you got. Okay. You also have troops. This is Steny Hoyer. Okay.
1: So we have a little North bit air, of time to make that decision.
2: Air Force Base, all right. Other military bases. Thank you. We thanks, need Paul. We active Bye. duty, National Guard, all the people who are sworn to protect and defend right.
0: the Constitution. Joining us now is one of the Republican members on the January 6th committee, Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for for being here. Tell us why you think that's significant, uh, that, that video of Pelosi and Schumer and, and others trying to get the Capitol some protection.
2: If you're a conspiracy theorist, they've been believing that this was all set up. Now, I'm sure they're going to say that this is a fake video or something now. But what that shows is in the midst of that chaos, the focus was on how do we defend the Capitol? Yes. How do we get back to work? This is a constitutional imperative that we certify this election. How do we bring enough people in to take control of the Capitol again and do that? The conspiracy theorists have said, again, we basically invited them in. We wanted this to happen somehow. It doesn't make sense. This video showed today uh, how intense really that battle was from a congressional leadership perspective, not sitting there waiting for events to happen, but proactively trying to get this job done. So
0: I don't know where McCarthy and Scalise and Stefanik, the, the three House Republican leaders, were during that period. I imagine they were somewhere safe as well. But uh, they've all been pushing the idea that Pelosi is somehow to blame for what happened, that she didn't uh, do enough that day. Of course, that's just a way for them to deflect yes. from talking about Trump. But do you see Pelosi right there?
2: Well, that's So Kevin McCarthy, the biggest disappointment of a congressman that I know, not because of what he said or done. It's because he knows better. He said it like a week after January 6th. He said the truth. And then that like power, that stars in your eyes comes out and he has to become a speaker. Uh, when I see him talking about that, or I see any Republican saying, the problem is the Capitol wasn't secured enough. And that's something we're looking at. That, that, but that's like blaming somebody who, who had a home invasion because they didn't like the front door. Yeah. Um, it's insane. And it's a deflection. And the only people that don't see right through that are those that choose not to see right through that because they don't want to look at January 6th and see the truth.
0: So the big action today uh, by the committee was um, voting unanimously to subpoena Donald Trump for testimony and, and records. Um, do you think that he's actually going to testify?
2: We'll have to see. I know he should. The requirement now is for him, as a former president, he has the same rules as any American, as you or I. If you're subpoenaed by Congress, you come in and testify. Um, you know, but I think it's important for us, as we've taken this investigation, we've got as many of the pieces as we can together. We're very clear there are people that won't come in and talk to us. You know, we haven't, At the end of this Congress, this committee ends. We've been, this is Donald Trump's doing. And when this even started, I mean, I I even was, you know, did he not know what was happening? Did people around him do this? It is very clear that he knew what he was doing. He wanted to stay in power. And now we want to hear from him.
0: There was uh, some suggestions today at the hearing uh, that some individuals at the Secret Service, in the U.S. Secret Service, haven't told your committee the truth um, about whether or not there were any threats uh, ahead of the insurrection, you showed uh, evidence that there were some passed on by the FBI and others, uh, and also other misrepresentations. Tell, us, tell me more about that.
2: Look, I don't know what's going on in the Secret Service. There's, whether it's cultural issues, whether it's this desire to maintain secrecy, we know about the text messages that disappeared despite the preservation requests. Um, you remember after Cassidy Hutchison testified, what she had heard, it you know, wasn't in there, but what she heard about happened in the limo. And you had these anonymous sources come out and say that is being disputed in the in the Secret Service. Tony Ornato and everybody will testify. We said, great, come in. Never went in. Never came in. They never had. They they didn't come in to talk to us. There are a lot of inconsistencies that we're going to continue to investigate from things people have said to evidence that we have gotten. That will be either explored in the future or definitely in the report.
0: Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Steve, says that we. The committee and also the news media we are describing this wrong. We shouldn't be calling it the attack on democracy. We should be calling it an attack on the United States. Because I guess his argument is truly, you attack the Capitol, you, you attack you know, the, the democratic process, you are attacking the United States. And if it was anyone else other than Trump supporters, we, maybe we would be calling it that.
2: No, I think you're right. I mean, imagine if this was ISIS, even without, you know, if they did the exact same thing, it would be an attack on the United States, whether they're citizens or not. I I can see it as both ways because democracy is important to defend right now. Sure. One of the things I believe is democracies, and the United States in particular, we're not defined by our bad days. We're going to have bad days. We're defined by how we come back from those bad days. That's what we're doing on the committee right now. We have to take a full accountability for what happened so that my kid, your kids, can come up in a country that can take accountability for its wrongs and that can actually give people hope, opportunity and prosperity. Speaking of
0: your kid, I have no doubt that your kid someday will be reading in the history books about what you did. Uh, and you know, the kids of the Republicans who know better who are going along with the lie will, will read it too. It must be kind of lonely uh, where you are right now, especially seeing people, fellow veterans in Congress, fellow Republicans, fellow conservatives. I don't know, I mean, are you still friends with them?
2: I mean, we get along, still friends with some, you know, you have to try to put that aside. But I, look, if somebody truly believes all the January 6th conspiracies, I begrudge them less than my colleagues who know the truth and have a position of leadership. One in 700,000 people serve in the job I serve in. Like your chances of ever being born in another life and doing that again are zero. You have a, you have a responsibility to the Constitution, not to what your district wants you to say in a time like this. Your district may want you to do one of thing. You swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States, and 99% of my Republican colleagues are failing every day. I would, I, for them, I'm sure they're afraid of what their kids are going to read in the history books. I'm proud of what my kid's going to read in the history books, and I guarantee every one of my colleagues' kids, they're going to believe what we put out there because it's going to be the truth.
0: Yeah, the truth. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Republican of Illinois, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it.
2: The system held last time. What
0: about next time? Coming up, one of the Republicans on the state level praised for helping keep our democracy together despite Donald Trump coming at him with a suitcase full of lies and threats. Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger joins me next. Donald Trump knew he'd lost the election before he ever even picked up the phone for this phone call, the sound from which was played at today's hearing of the January 6th House Committee.
2: I just wanna find uh, 11,780 votes.
0: Here's what the former acting deputy attorney general said under oath about what he had told Trump specifically about the results in Georgia and Trump's conspiracy theories about the vote in Georgia, including one whacked out theory about a suitcase full of ballots. With regard to Georgia, we looked at the tape, we interviewed the witnesses. There is no suitcase. The president kept fixating on this suitcase that supposedly had fraudulent ballots. and that The suitcase was rolled out from under the table. And I said, no, sir, there is no suitcase. And yet, here's what Trump said on the subsequent call to Georgia officials.
2: They weren't in an official uh, voter box. They were in what looked to be uh, uh, suitcases or trunks, uh,
0: suitcases. My next guest is the man on the other end of the line, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Secretary of State Raffensperger, thanks for joining us. You and your counsel both told Trump on the call that his information about the election was wrong. Now we know from the hearing today that he knew it was a lie. He he had been told it was not true. Um, how does knowing that change your recollection or view of the conversation in any way?
3: Well, I knew that we had the facts on our side, and that's what I told the president then. And for the last year and a half, I've been traveling all over the state of Georgia just talking to people. People would ask me what happened in the election. So I just went out and I gave them the facts. And I talked to everyone. I'd go anywhere and talk to any group that invited me in. And so I just thought people need to have and hear from the source. And that's what I provided with the facts.
0: Well, it's so interesting because uh, Trump initiated Uh, a candidate to run against you in the primary, uh, Congressman Jody Heiss, Um, but you and the governor, Brian Kemp, who also Trump had got somebody to run against him, you guys prevailed in your Republican primaries, whereas we've seen other Republicans all over the country lose in their primaries. How is it that you were able to do that?
3: Well, number one, I I had a tremendous belief and faith in just the goodness of my fellow Georgians. Most people are good, and that's what we found out. But also, if you just calmly and rationally talk to people, give them the facts, let them ask questions, then you answer their questions uh, with some patience and grace, it always works out. And that's how it worked out for me. I just wanted to make sure that people understood. And so that's what I did. I did that for over a year, just going out and talking to people, giving them the information.
0: Just last month, Trump was still insisting it was a, quote, absolutely perfect phone call. How, How would you describe that phone call?
3: Well, it was over an hour long, and so it was, uh, you know, he had kept on bringing up different issues, and I respectfully wanted to uh, just give him what the facts were. I uh, wanted to make sure that was fact-based, because at the end of the day, you know, we investigated every single allegation that was made, but we never could really nail people down. First, they said there was 10,000 dead people. There was actually, you know, we found four dead people. They said there was thousands of underage voters. Every single allegation, we went ahead and we checked out. And then I wrote a 10 page letter to Congress and I wanted to make sure it was fact-based. And that's what we did is we gave people the facts. I leaned into the law and I leaned, in, and I stood on the constitution and I just wanted to make sure here are what the facts are. And so we gave people the truth. And I know for people in my party, it was hard to hear, but I wanted to make sure that we did that respectfully. The
0: committee focused on the call, but we know from CNN's exclusive reporting that the efforts in Georgia went far, far beyond that, that the bogus Trump electors, got access to voting systems. Three days after that report, you announced you were replacing that equipment. How much has the Donald Trump conspiracy theories, how much has that cost the people of Georgia in terms of money being spent to protect the next election?
3: Well, the thing that is so upsetting about uh, election denial, whether it comes from the 2018 race we had or the 2020 race, is it really just disrupts society. It really creates even more social tension that we have. It polarizes people. But I think, by and large, I think most people are are tired of the screaming and hollering. They want people to start getting things done for them. And I think as elected leaders, we really are called to be responsible and to make sure that we deal with people respectfully and with the facts. Uh, I've actually made a pledge that whatever the results are in my race here this fall, I will accept the results. I will accept the will of the voters. And I would encourage every person that's running for elected office, you know, to make that same pledge to abide by the results, Yes, if the race is so close, and you can have a recount as allowed by state law, or you can do an audit of that race. But after that process has gone through, abide by the results. And then if you want to run again, then come back again. But I will abide by the results of the people of Georgia. Their vote is very important. And I want them to know that I'm going to make sure we have honest and fair elections for everyone.
0: Early voting in Georgia begins Monday. There have been reports of a shortage of poll workers in some counties. Is this, do you think, because of the, the threats of violence from the president's former supporters, uh, d- d- does this have a role in the shortage of workers, of, of people not willing to, to play this important role in our elections?
3: That could be one of the issues, but also after COVID, uh, many of the people that you know were a little bit older, they stepped out and they haven't come back. Uh, and everyone gets two years older every time you have an election cycle. But by and large, most of the counties uh, have enough poll workers, but they don't have any spare. And that's an issue that we've been facing for years. And I would encourage anyone to think about becoming a poll worker. It's probably too late for this cycle, but it's something that you maybe think about two years from hence because it's great public service and people need to understand once you become a poll worker, you understand the process. And after the election of 2020, so many people didn't understand the process, all the fail-safes, all the checks, checks and double checks to make sure that we have fair and honest elections not just in georgia but throughout the entire country
0: how are you and your wife doing i know it was a quite an ordeal
3: Uh, yeah we're doing fine uh you know we're looking forward to this election this has been a long election season for us and we're looking forward to election day but that's why i'm still out there campaigning talking to people and then we also have our job getting ready you know for this election we're expecting really strong turnout we had Four million people show up in 2018. We had five million in 2020. We don't know where exactly we'll be here, but we expect it will be strong turnout. There's just a lot of national issues that are weighing on people's minds right now.
0: Yeah, you got a big governor's race there and a, and a big Senate race as well. Secretary Raffensberger of Georgia, thank you so much, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Between the revelations at the hearings, the subpoena, the Supreme Court rejection, it's hard to imagine Donald Trump didn't throw at least some food at the wall today. Maggie Haberman from The New York Times will join me. We're going to talk about how Donald Trump and his loyalists are reacting to today's horrible news for Donald Trump. That's next. Two days before the 2020 election, the world learned from Axios's Jonathan Swan that then-President Trump had a plan to declare a premature victory regardless of the election results. But it turns out Trump had been planning that strategy since at least July. Here's Vice President Pence's top White House lawyer and one of Trump's closest allies, Steve Bannon, in testimony, played at today's hearing.
2: Mark had indicated to me that uh, There was a possibility that there would be uh, a declaration of victory uh, within the White House that some might push for. Uh, And this is prior to the election results being known. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory. Right. He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner.
0: That revelation is not all that the former president is grappling with today. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected Trump's request that they intervene in the Mar-a-Lago documents fight with the Justice Department. Donald Trump's new company is also under scrutiny by New York's attorney general. And Vice President Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, was seen testifying before a grand jury for the second time. So how is Trump world reacting to all this horrible news for him? Let's bring in the author of Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and The Breaking of America, New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, I should say New York Times best-selling author, number one best-selling author, Maggie Haberman. Congratulations, Maggie. Um, What are you hearing about how Trump is responding to all this abysmal news for him that that played out today? So a
1: couple of things, Jake, because he doesn't tend to process uh, these kinds of legal actions the way other people might, working backwards. Uh, you know, the, the, the revelations by the committee, uh, most of his folks are sloughing them off because they're trying to say these are old news and it's not surprising. Uh, in terms of the subpoena for him, that is actually one of the things that has animated him. He's been talking to advisors about how, uh, you know, he would consider testifying if they would air it live, which is also not surprising. Uh, it seems hard to imagine the committee would go for that. What he is very focused on right now is the other investigations that could lead to criminal charges. And that is still where much of his uh, energy is focused. And for whatever reason, he is very focused uh, on this lawsuit that's coming up next week where he has to be deposed, uh, where he's being sued for defamation by Eugene Carroll, a woman who has accused him of rape. The developments around January 6th, he considers those baked in. Everybody else does not, but he does.
0: That's that's. Interesting. Do you think his lawyers would let him testify live? I mean, I can't imagine that. I mean, it might feel good for him, but I I, I can't imagine that making him look sane, rational, reasonable. I I mean, I, I don't see any scenario in which he ends up looking good there.
1: I think that it would be. I also don't see a scenario where he doesn't potentially get himself into a fraud situation when he's testifying under oath. And I think it would depend on which lawyers he is listening to, Jake. He has different lawyers in different cases and he seeks them out for different things and they are not always on the same page.
0: Well, right. That's the thing, because he would be under oath. Often when he testifies under oath, uh, he just ends up saying, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall, um, because he's being told by lawyers uh, that he has to do that. Um, But I don't think he would do that before the committee. I just can't imagine any attorney, although I don't know how he's picking his attorneys these days. It doesn't seem like he's exactly going to the Harvard Law Review. Um, So do you think, I mean, among these lesser attorneys who are giving him advice these days, do you think somebody would actually tell him, go ahead, do that. That's going to be great.
1: At least one of his lawyers was sounding people out about the idea today of him him testifying and agreeing uh, to it as long as the committee would let him do it live. And so I certainly don't think they're all shutting him down. I do think that there are people who would be concerned about it for the same reason that his lawyers, when he was being uh, investigated by Robert Mueller, the special counsel, were concerned about him meeting with Mueller and testifying, which Trump wanted to, and they did not want him to for the reasons you just said.
0: Today, a uh, testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson was played that, that gets specifically to Trump's mindset. Uh, let's run some of that.
1: So he had said something to the effect of, I don't want people to know we lost, Mark. This is embarrassing. Figure it out. We need to figure it out. I don't want people to know that we lost.
0: So that was about the Supreme Court refusing to hear his, some of the crazy uh, lawsuits uh, that were being filed on his behalf. And much do you think was... Fear of embarrassment, one of the motivating factors behind Donald Trump's refusal to publicly accept the election results, that he he just, that was one of his biggest fears, being embarrassed.
1: I think that's one of them, Jake. I think this is somebody who spent a lifetime being raised by a man who, you know, taught him that being a loser is an incredibly fraught thing. You know, you need to be a killer. You need to win. And that was something that his father got into his head over and over and over again. And then he surrounded himself with people who would affirm that. And so losing an election was not something that he was going to admit. I, I will make the point. He said the election that he won was rigged, too, in 2016. This is something he says about elections. I do think a piece of it is about being embarrassed. I think part of it is also just refusing to accept reality on anyone else's terms but his own.
0: You heard us play sound of Greg Jacob, uh, Pence's lawyer, uh, detailing Trump's premeditated plan to declare victory on re- election night. Regardless of what happened, uh, the committee laid out evidence that it started as early as July, that plan. Um, what does what your reporting say on this, how long he was planning to just prematurely declare victory, even though he likely lost?
1: It's similar, Jake. He was telling people, some of his advisors, in July, and I have reporting on this, that he was going to, uh, you know, he was going to raise questions about the mail-in ballots and suggest, because, remember, all of these rules changed around COVID in 2020 in terms of how people were allowed to vote, and he was going to say... Um, you know, that this was this was unfair or this was wrong or this was this was corrupt. And so he had been talking about this and working toward this for a very, very long time. And, you know, even Jonathan Swan and Axios reported, as you noted, um, he was the first to report that in October, Trump had stunned some of his advisors by just announcing he was going to go up there on election night and say he won no matter what. It was clear where this was headed.
0: Maggie, stick with me, I have more questions for you. Uh, Donald Trump's life is not exactly an open book, but not for lack of trying on Maggie's part. Uh, is getting inside Donald Trump's head, is that a gift or is it a curse for Maggie? Or is, maybe is it both? We'll talk about that next. Countless people, countless, have tried to understand Donald Trump. but few have gotten the insight and access That Maggie Haberman has in her new book, Maggie recounts how during one of their many interviews, Trump gestured toward her and told his aides, quote, I love being with her. She's like my psychiatrist. Maggie Haberman is back with me now. You don't see yourself that way as Trump's psychiatrist, I assume.
1: No, and I don't think he does either. Honestly, Jake, I think he said this to flatter. It's the kind of thing that he has said. Hello, Jake.
0: Hello. I can't hear her, but I don't know if that's on my end or or, or what's going on. Can you hear her? Okay, well, I'm having some sound problems. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. Sorry about the technical problems. Maggie Haberman's back with me now. Maggie, uh, Trump calling you uh, his psychiatrist. Uh, What was your reaction to that? How do you see yourself?
1: Uh, I don't think that uh, this was a line that he actually meant, Jake. It's the kind of thing that he, I think, says to intend to flatter. He has used it about any number of other interviewers or about his Twitter feed or about his rallies. The reality is that he treats everybody like they're his psychiatrist. He is working it out in front of all of us, his staff, his advisors, his rally goers, his pseudo friends and friends in real time.
0: And yet I have to acknowledge, and I say this as, as you know, not only a friend of yours, but an admirer uh, of your reporting and your your Work ethic. Uh, he attacks you all the time, um, even though he obviously wants and craves your respect uh, so much. He says things like this about you at rallies. Let's roll that side.
2: Who's with the New York Times? I hope it's not Maggie Haberman or Parker because they're not legit. They don't know me. They don't know me. I haven't seen her. I haven't spoken to her in a year and a half. Maggie Haberman gets a Pulitzer. Brush. She's a third-rate reporter. <laughs>
0: I mean, you're a fantastic reporter, and yes, you got the Pulitzer Prize covering him. What do you make of that? Because uh, I think you and I both know he really wants you to approve of him.
1: He wants the New York Times to approve of him, and I just happen to be the person who covers him uh, more than other people at this paper, and I knew him before he was a candidate, so I think that's part of it. But I really can't overstate how much uh, his fixation on the paper drives this.
0: Do you, do you think that you have a better understanding of him now that you've written this book? And and, you, you, and I, I should note for people, like the book does not start uh, Inauguration Day uh, 2017. It goes back to like, his family, his roots, his father, Fred, who, no offense, sounds like a really awful dad to have. Do you think you understand him better now, having plunged into his background more for this book?
1: I think there are parts of him that I understand better than before. But, you know, the, the goal had always been, because I I come from New York and, and I've covered New York politics and, and aspects of New York's various systems for a long time, uh, the goal had always been to try to show the animating forces, which I, I understood before, about, about the world he came from and what shaped him uh, and how he exported that to Washington, D.C., and to the White House, and then to the Republican Party, and it lives on in our politics. That had been the goal, and while I felt like I understood it previously, I have—I think I have a richer understanding of, of certain aspects of it, yes.
0: Well, it's a really fantastic book, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. I recommend it to, to everyone, uh, even if you think you already know everything you, you, you want to know about Donald Trump. It's, it's really great. Congratulations, Maggie. Always good to have you on. Jake, thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the TikTok at Jake Tapper. Tomorrow, we're going to have on Iranian-born actress Nazadeen Bonyadi. She's in the series The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. She's going to be here. She's also an ambassador for Amnesty International. uh, And she's going to join me after meeting tomorrow with Vice President Harris to discuss the human rights protests in Iran, one of the most important developments of the year. That's tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. Please join us. Our coverage continues now with the fantastic Laura Coates, the amazing Allison Camerata. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN Flash Talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.